The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 128 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. What a fun episode we have for you this week. I don't know if uh, it's like this for you, but I have certain friends who I see all the time, and they are great friends. Then I have other friends that maybe we lose touch for a year, even two years. Then when we catch up again, I just remember how much I love the person and and what a deep friendship we have. And that's the case with uh, Marcus Wilson, my guest today. It was so fun catching up with him. Seriously, one of the best people I know. He's going to tell us all about his life as a professional comedy juggler. And this week in my Latter-day life, sometimes the Lord puts us where we need to be. It's all coming up. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And this week, right here in the Latter-day Live studios, it is my honor to have a man who has been a friend of mine for, we should have talked about that beforehand. How long has it been? It's been 20 years, and the reason I know it's been just about, either 20 years or just about 20 years, is because I actually looked up on YouTube the episode of Touched by an Angel we were on together. No joke! Has it really been 20 years? Yeah, it's been 20 years, and I I was looking at it, and Century had hair. And <laughs> I was a little thinner. You were a little thinner. I was a lot thinner. And George the Giant, he was a little thinner. Yeah. So Marcus Wilson, yeah. first of all, welcome to the show. Thank Glad you. That you're here. Hey, and I do want to say, um, when you first asked me to be on this show, I was like, my immediate thought was. Okay, so now you're 126 episodes in, and now you're having the juggler on. It's like, who did you have the week before? The mime, and it was such a bad episode. Now it's time to call the juggler. (laughs) So, But then, honestly, I started listening to your show once I found out you had it, and I listened to the quality of guests you have, and I'm just honored to be here. No, I'm thrilled that you're here, and I've... I've thought about asking you on so many times. I was telling Marcus earlier, and I'll just tell the audience, we went out to dinner and hung out a little bit before we recorded. I consider Marcus to be one of my closest friends that I see about every 10 years. Yeah. Uh, we rarely get to see each other, but but you teased Touch by an Angel. So before we get into your life, let's go mm-hmm. ahead and tell everybody how we met, because it's a very, very cool story. We were both hired to be featured extra on a circus episode of Touched by an Angel. <laughs> the episode's actually called A Clown's Prayer. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, if you want to look it up. And I mean, if you're look if you're looking to see us, realize we're on it a combined total of probably under five seconds together. Oh, is if it? You, yeah, if you add our time together that we're both on there. Is the whole episode on YouTube? Yeah. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and watch it. I'm sure yeah. I, I'm sure I watched it for our big starring role. How did you end up getting that? I Do you remember an agent I, an agent and by agent I mean a clown. 
yeah. called me and said, Hey, we need clowns for this. And I said, Oh, great. Yeah. And then, but you know what? Some of my longest friendships that, that for years was my big TV credit. Yeah. Honestly, it's like juggler on touch by an angel. Yes. I was juggling clown on by an angel and it got to the point where it's been so long that I don't. And yeah, how can you mention it? Because well, you're that old, huh? Yeah, so, like, yeah, I, I <laughs> twenty am. years ago. Part of why we became such good friends, kids. You won't believe this if you're twenty some odd years old, but we had no phones to look at, no internet, no nothing, and those were long days. I mean, we had to be on set at six o'clock in the morning. I don't know if I've ever mentioned on this show that I juggle. Uh, I don't juggle like you do. You do still? But, well, I. I think I can still three ball real okay. easily and I can still do torches. Okay. Swords are a little trickier because of balance, but I can still throw swords a little okay. bit. Yeah. But I used to be a very okay juggler. <laughs> I was never very good. But well, we had to get there at six o'clock in the morning and, and mm-hmm. we were there all day. And 90% of it was you and me just sitting and we'd sit and just talk and we became friends yeah. that way. So I, I, I'm glad you said that. I really felt like we had a connection there. Yeah, me and we too. Became, we just became great friends Yeah, over those two days, and that connection will always be there. And it's lasted all the way through yes. these, these 20 years. So, and, But now the good thing is I've forgotten your whole story. I'm sure we shared our entire life stories those I'm three sure or four days that we were filming. And I will go back and, and find it. Maybe I'll share a link to it. Uh, but let's, so let's get to know you again. Okay. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up. Okay. I grew up in Bountiful, Utah. Um, I'm here's my family story is this. I, the third child of six kids that were born to my parents, we had some foster kids when I, before my mission and my parents brought in some foster kids. I leave on my mission when I'm in the MTC, my mom adopts one brother. Um, okay. I meet him at the airport. Were your parents divorced? No, no. My parents are together. Okay. I say, okay. Because you said your mom did. I mean, I assume your dad kind of went along with it then. <laughs> he Let's say, went along with it is, <laughs> is the way to describe it. That's exactly okay. what happened. He went along with it. Cool. Because... And I mean, honestly, ladies, this is a good point. You know, you keep nagging long enough, your husband will do anything. Yeah. So he went along with that. And then I was on my mission about a year into my mission. My parents said it right that time. My parents adopted (laughs) five more kids. So I came home from my mission and from a family of, you know, six kids. And now there's a family of 12 plus a foster brother and I Marcus, like, that's amazing. And I remember calling my mom like a few days before Mother's Day before I came home. And I was like, where am I sleeping? <laughs> and she's like, we're going to put you in dad's office. I'm like, isn't the piano in there? Isn't that the piano room? She goes, yes. I'm like, don't you have piano practice? Yeah. I'm like, I remember piano practice at six in the morning. I'm like, she's like, yeah, we do that in the morning. I'm like, so I'm going to be in there at six in the morning and you're going to have piano practice. That that was that's what I remember about it. And then they moved the piano out into the living room, which was ten feet away from the door behind which I slept. So I oh, moved. That's awesome. I moved out quickly, like within a year after I got home. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, you know, love you guys. I'm getting out of this house. 
Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. So obviously you were raised in the church. I was raised, born and raised in the church. Yeah. Absolutely. And so one of the things, and I guess we've already talked about it, that you are a juggler, you're a performer, you're an entertainer. Mm -hmm. Did you start juggling before your mission? I learned to juggle in high school. I worked at a restaurant in Bountiful called The Red Flame. Mm. Is it still there? No. The building's still there. Flamed out. The, yeah, the Red Flame Catering Company still exists, oh, okay. as far as I know. Mm. But for years, it was a, the restaurant, and they would have um, they would have live band every Friday and Saturday, and they'd have dancing for anyone that, as far as I could tell, was over eighty, would show up, <laughs> and then they would have the live band and dancing. <laughs> and there was a kid there named Randy. I don't remember his last name. He worked at Lagoon, and he learned to juggle while running the games at Lagoon. And I learned to juggle with oranges and rolls mm. at the Red Flame. You go through a lot of oranges learning to juggle yes, with oranges. I did. I went, went through a lot of oranges. How old were you? I was about 16. Yeah. Did juggling come supernaturally to you? I'm not sure how to answer that. Yeah. I mean, I guess after, I think for most people who have any sort of sense of rhythm yeah. and any sort of sense of athleticism, you know, yeah. then juggling. Once it's explained to them and shown to them, it's not, I mean, juggling three balls is not that tough. Yeah. My problem was it would run away in front of me. And then someone said, juggle against a wall. Lots of people have that issue when they first start. That was really where, where I got good. And I say, I can't, with anybody else, I talk about what an amazing juggler I am. With you sitting here, I can't. Yeah. Well. I can't talk about it. I don't consider myself an amazing juggler. Oh, you're that, a very good juggler. Well, that being said, yeah, that, I don't consider myself an amazing juggler compared to other jugglers. Right. That being said, I'm going to be able to impress 99% of this world yeah. Yeah. with pe- things that they've never seen before. Right, right. So there so. are, and we can get into this later, but there are kind of two levels of jugglers. There are the competition jugglers and the entertainers. The I guess the two levels, technical juggler or or comedy juggler. The thing is, is like a technical juggler, you have to work very, very hard at it. And then in order to make a living at it, you have to come up with a seven minute act that you might be able to sell to Cirque du Soleil. Anyone who's going to make any sort of living Mm. at juggling has to come up with an hour. And I mean, watching an hour of juggling for a juggler can be boring. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's just, I mean, it can be, you know, lots of people like it, but yeah, you can run through all your juggling quick tricks pretty quick. So you got to do something. You got to be a good entertainer too. Yeah. I, I got to work a little bit with Jeff Savillico okay. out yeah. in Las Vegas and he's phenomenal. Sure. He's, to me, he's an entertainer who happens to juggle. Exactly. Right? Like he's an amazing entertainer and he juggles. I, I got to perform with him here in Provo. Then I went down to Vegas and, and worked uh-huh. with him for a few days, but, uh, but you are you are a great entertainer, too. Did you know that? Thank you. Juggling would become a thing when you were sixteen. Um, no. When I was in, when I was sixteen, I I loved skateboarding. That's all I did. But yeah. I got into learning odd tricks. Mm. So I, let me go back a little bit. Um, so when I was when I was in junior high, I took a uh, speech and drama class. And they put on the school play and, you know, and I loved it. I had so much fun being in front of people. Mm. I just absolutely had the best time of my life. You know, I thought it was great just being up in front of people. 
And then I got into high school and I thought, you know, I'm into drama. I like drama. And I, you know, took drama classes and the drama in high school was just that it was drama (laughs) and the kids were all drama E and they, you know, like to dress in black and talk about how terrible their life was. And for some reason that was fun to them, but then get on stage and sing Oklahoma when the wind comes sweeping down the plane. And I was never a musical. I, you know, I can't (laughs) sing, but I was never into musicals, but just the drama, it was just, wasn't my thing. And then, I was in two high school plays and both of them I had about one line and then I burped. <laughs> Wait, both, both? Yeah. In both plays, I ended up burping. I played a drunk or some of them, something like that. And I, and then most bizarre. Yeah, I know. And so I don't think I've ever seen a play where anybody burps. You were in two of I them. Was, yeah. I was a drunk guy, uh, drunk guy. And funny. so like, the first one, the the <laughs> drama teacher, director, whatever, told me to burp. And I was like, well, that I can do. And then the next one, I was a drunk guy again. So I was like, well, I'm going to burp. Oh, I, like, I already have everybody stand back. I have professional yeah, experience. I've got experience. This, this, is, this is what I yeah, do. This comes place. naturally. So um, I. So you like performing, those. but not necessarily being an actor or being in drama. And then, yeah. And then um, in high school, that. That's right about it. That's right about the time I was learning to juggle. So I just learned. I loved learning odd skills, like just anything strange. I loved. Yeah. All I really did was skateboard. Besides that, that's that was it in high school. Yeah. And then I, but I learned like my mom for Christmas. She bought me a harmonica and a book. I learned to play it. I learned to blow spit bubbles off my tongue. That that was one of the coolest things <laughs> in the world. Learned all these odd skills and then juggling, you know, present itself. And I just, I loved things like that. And then, um, I went on my mission. Where'd you serve? Portland, Oregon. Awesome. Which yes. is a great, great place for juggling and stuff. More now than then. Okay. Yes. Fair. Honestly. So my mission, um, the biggest cultural shock I had on my mission was when I walked into the MTC. <laughs> when I walked in the back and I saw everyone in suits and ties. And then these two sisters came up and, you know, I'm just came from, I was at Dixie college for a quarter and you know, they had, Hey, can we carry your, help carry your luggage? We're like, sure. They carried it to the door of the dorm. And I've been, you know, at Dixie college hanging out with girls all day long. And then they go, we got to stop here. And it just blew me away. Of course they had to stop there. Yeah. Of course they couldn't of course go. Of course they did. Of course they couldn't go room. in the dorm. But at yeah. that moment I was like, what did I get myself into? What am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of threw me off. On your mission, did you consider teaching kind of performing? Um, I'm going to say no. Yeah. Here's the thing. Um, I was at a juggling convention once and I was hanging out with two people who were pastors for other churches. And they're great guys. And I'm one of them actually lives in Utah and he's a good, I consider him a good friend, but they were talking, they were talking about how performing and preaching were very similar. Mm. And I didn't say this to them, but I learned something that day. I, I just, after they said it, I thought, no, they could not be more different mm. because Performing, I mean, I can go in front of a room, I can keep their attention, I can make a group of people laugh, and I get paid for it. Yeah. You know, I'm good at it, I know what I'm doing. Sure. That's something I can do. All that matters 
when you go up and you speak at church and you share your testimony is you're sincere. Yeah. The whole goal is to get the spirit there and have the spirit do the teaching. Right. And the way you do that is you just be sincere and you care about what you're teaching. That's beautiful. Yeah, you're right. And I, so when you, yeah, if you're performing, you're probably doing it wrong. Exactly. And when you say that, you know, when, when people ask me that it's like, is performing the same as, you know, speaking? It's like, no, not at all. Yeah. Maybe unless you're singing. If you're singing to bring the spirit, you better be a good singer. I'm not. Well, you know, I sang at my homecoming and I, I got compliments like, well, it's the spirit of it that matters. (laughs) So, (laughs) so you get home from your mission. Mm -hmm. What came next for you? So I got home from my mission and uh, I mean, I got jobs and I went to start going to college, um, but what were you thinking would be your career path? I wanted to own my own business. Yeah. I wanted to own my own business, but I'm, I was knew how to juggle three balls. I wasn't a great juggler by any, any means. And I enjoyed it. And I thought, you know, what would be fun is to be a clown for kids' birthdays. Mm. And so I took out the yellow pages and I look up clowns and I started calling through the yellow pages, started calling clown companies. No kidding. Yeah. And you know, the first clown company I, so I said something like, do you hire clowns? And their response was, well, we don't hire lipstick clowns. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and then they're like, and they're like talking about something else. I didn't even know what they're saying. I call a few more. And then I get this one lady and I go, how do you become a clown? And she just goes off and tells me how to put on makeup, what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to act and all these things. And it's like just going through one ear and out the other. And then she goes, how old are you? And I'm like, I'm 21. She goes, how tall are you? Six foot. How much do you weigh? 170. And she goes, do you want a job going to kids' birthday parties as a power ranger? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, who wouldn't want that job? Oh, that's so funny. Who, who wouldn't want to dress up as a Power Ranger? And then this happened. And I was working at UPS for eight bucks an hour. I said, just curious, how much does this pay? I'm working for eight bucks an hour at UPS. And she goes, $40 an hour. And I went, you know, I just, uh, I went, uh, uh, uh yeah. I didn't realize that. You realize it was, it's one hour at a time. Yeah, it was $40 an hour, three hours a week. But still... <laughs> I was making on a Saturday what I made all week. Yeah. All week working at UPS. Sure. Yeah. You know, throwing boxes. You could do three or four shows on a Saturday and exactly clean up. So I started out. Uh huh. So I started out, you know, doing kids' parties as a Power Ranger. I've dressed as Barney and Batman. As I dressed once, I don't know why this lady did this. She hired a gorilla to come to her little kid's birthday. I walked in, all the kids screamed and cried for 15 minutes. And then she sent me home. (laughs) Was that your worst? Was that your worst gig doing party entertainment? So I don't remember my worst gig as far as a birthday party goes. I I guess one of them, the one I remember is there was a time it was like 110 degrees outside and I was in a Barney costume. Yeah. And by the time I was done, I would have given everything I made for a glass of water. Yeah. You know, that I remember that. Yeah, I did some walk around stuff in costume. We, you know, the company I worked for, it was at, you know, like the state fair or whatever Uh in California, 100 degrees outside, and I'm in a bear costume, just trying not to pass out. Yeah. Yeah. So 
my the worst gig I can think I've ever had, and I don't know that it's the worst one I've ever had, but a story about a terrible gig is this is a Keith Stubbs gig. Yeah, up Keith's in Snow- been on the show before. Yeah, yeah, I've listened to the episode. He does a lot of booking. Yeah, up in Snowbird. Did you ever do the Snowbird? Yeah, gig? I did the Snowbird room. Uh, so, and I gave those six people the best show. <laughs> I've I, worked that room. I've actually oh, worked that room three or four times. I've always had good experiences there, but I, it's been sparse. I went up there and I told my wife, and th- this is the story. I told my wife, I'm like, "You want to come up? They give out free cookies." That was my big pitch. <laughs> And I was working with Jeff Burke. Oh, yeah. Jeff's been on the show, too. Yeah. Yeah. This is when I was starting. I was working with Jeff Burke. He was the closer. I was the opener. Yeah. And there's six people in the room. My wife's sitting in the room there. I go up, do 20 minutes of comedy juggling to silence and six (laughs) people staring at me. And they just got done skiing, yeah. they're wiped out, and, and you're juggling for them. And this is the part <laughs> I will never forget. I get off stage, clean up my stuff, go sit down by my wife. She looks at me and says, I want to throw up. <laughs> uh, I'm glad funny. it's happened because it was one of the best stories I've got uh, performing. I did that room with Kylie Cook once, and I did that room with Bent Washburn once. Bent and I performed up there. I always had good experiences, but I don't know that it was ever more than maybe 10 people there. Like, I don't know why they kept doing that room. Well, I know know exactly why Keith kept doing that room. I know why Keith kept doing it, because they paid him. I don't know why Snowbird kept doing it, because there was nobody there. Exactly. I don't know. Oh, that's Funny. Yeah, I don't know why Snowbird kept doing it either, but so let's mm. go back to you're doing your you're doing these parties. Did you ever do makeup clown? Yeah, well, in Touched by an Angel, yeah. I was makeup clown. Yeah, and here's another thing where Touched by an Angel and you are a significant part of my performing life. Um, we're talking in Touched by an Angel. I'd been performing doing birthday parties for probably three years or so. Then I feel mm. like I'm pretty good at it. You know, I got a clown show and a magic show that I'm doing at kids' birthday parties. And you were talking about how you did stand-up comedy. And I was like, I always thought that sounded fun. Yeah. And then um, I actually, for my first time, well, one of, the, one of the big reasons I decided to do stand-up comedy was you were telling me how much you were making as a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Compared to what I was making doing birthday parties. <laughs> and it was like five times as much or more. Yeah, for corporate shows. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so I thought, what am I doing? I, and so I decided to go do stand up. So I came out and you sat me down in the living room. I wrote some comedy and we went to Johnny B's together. Hmm. Yeah, I remember that the first time. I yeah, totally remember that. Yeah. The first time I got on a comedy club stage, Sean Rapier took me and you had props. I did. Yeah. I did have awesome. props. And I, and you it, were so funny, Marcus. You were so natural on stage. I'm glad. Well, I had years of performing yeah, experience before sure. that. I didn't think I did well in the comedy club aspect. I mean, I hadn't learned how to be a comedian. Yeah, but yet. clubs are different. Yeah, I hadn't learned how yeah. to be a comedian yet, which was fine. You yeah, know, that's. I mean, the thing is, what a lot of people don't understand about comedy and comedians is when you start anything. Yeah, it doesn't matter what it is. When you started anything you're not going to be good at it at first. Right. And the only way to get good at comedy is to get in the front of a room of people and do yeah. it. But you were great. I mean, I still remember that night and you were fantastic. Well, thank you. Uh, well, there's, there's some comics out there 
that they go their whole life and they don't realize they've bombed. Yeah, I, I almost mm. just said a name. Yeah. <laughs> Someone you and I both know. Yeah, I think it might. Well, yeah. I'll tell a story. I When I first started doing stand-up comedy, I went to uh, this guy had a room. Good friend of mine, love him. And he went on stage and he did 15 minutes and didn't get a laugh. Oh. And then I went up and I got a laugh and I turned to the crowd surprised. <laughs> They're making noise. Like, he's like, what's going on? They're making noise. And so, yeah, yeah I, there's that, ha- there's that too. Yeah. When, so trying to piece, cause we kind of jumped around a little bit. When, mm. when did you get married? I got married in 96. How did you meet your wife? How did I meet my wife? Okay. Um, I met my wife. My brother was dating her roommate. My brother one night goes, Hey, uh, I'm going to go hang out at Lori's house. With, you know, she, he's like, you want to come? I had nothing to do. It was one Sunday night. I said, sure. So I go over there and me and her started talking and we hit it off. And that's where we hit it off. Did you ever get to have the chat with her family of, I want to be a juggler as a career? Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> her dad actually requested a picture of her daughter for the wedding of her daughter and me dressed up as a clown. No kidding. Yeah, so that was displayed. Full embracing of it. Yeah. No, I don't know if he fully embraced it, but, (laughs) you know, it was something. The funny story with that is my wife's a teacher, and she went to a out-of-town once to a teacher's conference. And her roommate, she she had this conversation with her roommate. Her roommate goes, so your husband's a clown. She goes, yeah. And she goes, and you knew he's going to be a clown. She goes, (laughs) yeah. She goes, and you married him. Yeah. Oh, that's but then so she funny. goes, and you knew he was going to be a clown. <laughs> like, yeah. So there's, there's that. What's your clown name, Marcus? Well, Marky. I have, I have not dressed as a clown for years. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's not entirely true. There's times corporate, corporate gigs will yeah. hire you to, they hire jugglers essentially as scenery. And if you know, you pay me enough, I I'll put on whatever. Sure. It doesn't matter. You know, you want me to wear that? Sure, fine. So this led into a career of performing. Yeah. You have now had this entire career for more than 20 years now. Mm -hmm. You have supported your family as a true performer, entertainer, juggler, comedian, Mm -hmm. all these things. We did a show together uh, at Little America. I remember yeah. it was at Little America, but I don't remember. It was for a company. It was about 10 years ago, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember. And you are great on stage. Well, thank you. It's a comedy juggling show. It's a genre that isn't as well-known or popular as, say, the comedy magician. Yeah. But it, it exists, and that's what I do. I You once told me once when we were having a conversation about comedy that you weren't breaking any new ground with your comedy. No, never. And I feel the same way about my comedy juggling. I mean, I've created some, some of my own tricks and you know, I've, my show's my show. Yeah. I I don't really, I don't steal material, but you know, nothing's nothing I do is going to end up on a PBS special because it's so original and creative. (laughs) Me either. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a fun show. And you and your wife have how many kids? We have four kids now. Are any of them following in this path? Do any Um, of them want to be entertainers? My daughter is a singer. My 13-year-old daughter is mm. an amazing singer. 
Um, she's in the Hale Center Choir. Wow. Hale Center Theater Youth Choir. Um, my 17-year-old son's a skateboarder. He's getting into playing guitar and things. Um, I wouldn't say he's... He, he he likes to make films and yeah. videos, but he's not a... Do any of them a, juggle? My boys can, can juggle. Yeah. But they need none of them... Um, none of them are trying to do it as a living or to, as a job or anything like that. Yeah. My, my 19 year old son, he plays basketball at college in a small school in Illinois. Cool. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking back two weeks ago, we had Kurt Hale on uh-huh. talking about how his dad really wanted him to be a lawyer and how he disappointed him going into film. Mm-hmm. Are your kids going to say like, uh, I disappointed my dad. I became a lawyer instead of. Being an entertainer. Well, you know, since my 17-year-old's a skateboarder, I can finally be proud of one of them. <laughs> my, my kids are all amazing. My daughter's, awesome. My daughter's on a debate scholarship at a school in uh, Minnesota. Awesome. Yeah, my son's, right. you know, son's a basketball I'm player, sure it gives them a lot of amazing. freedom to feel like they can just be themselves and, and do what they want to do, you know? Well, yeah. It's very cool. Mine and my wife's, both of our philosophies with raising kids was... We don't care what you do. You just need to do something. Yeah. And I've always been a big one of, you know, you shouldn't force something onto your kids. Right. You shouldn't force, you know, a job or a, you know, a musical instrument or a hobby. Sure. But I'm going to force them to do something. Yeah. You better get off the couch and do something once in a while. Very smart. So have you, as you've had this incredible career of performing you've performed all over the place um i've united states yeah in, in the united states yeah, but I've i never... mean you've seen a lot of our country and you've gotten yeah. to perform in front of a lot of crowds uh-huh. has has the church ever come up have have you ever been asked first of all have you ever been asked to do a blue show i have my rule is um i my rule is i'm not gonna uh, do a joke in my show that I won't do in front of my mom. Oh, what a great rule. That being said, I've done some jokes in my show that my mom definitely wouldn't like. <laughs> <laughs> so you but, do it, you would do it in front of her. She just but, wouldn't like it. No, I mean, there's, Oh, that's funny. For Marcus. the most part, that's I clean so my funny. show clean. Yeah. Well, here's something, and you know this too. Here's something to consider if you're starting out in comedy. Mm. If you just go to comedy clubs and you decide to, go the easy route and do a dirty show. You're going to be limited to performing in places yeah. that are okay with a dirty show. And you know, if that's what you want to do, I'm not going to judge you for it, but like I also book out acts. Yeah. And there's not that many places I can book you out at. Yeah. You're not going to take a risk on a corporate show. No. That, that someone could offend. No. I also find that a lot of people think they want a blue show or a dirty show. I had a guy who, a mining company booked me one time and said, and please be as dirty as you can. They love it. I said, I'm actually totally clean. And he said, oh, you're not for us. And I said, I, I'm going to give you a good show, I promise. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll show up, I'll perform. If you don't like it, don't pay me. It'll be a free night for you. Yeah. And he came up afterward. He said, "Within five minutes, I'd completely forgotten you were clean." Yeah. Well, here's the thing: people when people say that, 
they don't they don't necessarily realize what they're saying because yeah. people don't like dirty shows and they don't like clean shows. They like funny shows. Right, right. And that's that's the thing. They want They've some. maybe seen a dirty comic that they thought was hilarious. Mm-hmm. But they just thought he was hilarious, so they equate, oh, we must want more dirty comics. Yeah. So that that's exactly it. And the thing is, is dirty and clean are independent of funny. Yeah. I think you've probably, I mean, because you and I have both worked with dirty comics. Oh, yeah. They're always surprised afterward. You know, dirty comics who have not worked with a lot of clean comics, I find they're normally surprised. Like, wow, you're a really clean comic. Well, something that's different for me than um, a lot of comedians is I I worked local comedy clubs. You know, I headlined Johnny yeah. B's. I headlined Fat, Dumb, and Happy's when it was there. But getting into a comedy club as a juggler, trying to sell them on the concept that it's a funny show, you yeah. know, is hard to do. And after a year or so of, like, learning how to perform in comedy clubs... I decided I didn't care. I didn't want to be in a comedy right. club because a couple reasons it doesn't pay great. No, the, the money's in corporate. Yeah. The money doesn't pay. It, it's not there for, you know, work in a comedy club. And also there's just a different vibe. Right. Amongst comedians and comedy clubs than yeah. there is with other performers. And so I, I, I just, I didn't really care about performing in comedy clubs as much. It's sure. not that I wouldn't take a gig. It's that I just quit trying to get them. And I started going after the fairs and the festivals and started going after the company yeah. parties and things like that. And something else I, I want to be clear about too. I make about a third of my living performing. I also own my own business, yep. renting out bounce houses and um, hiring out other entertainers. Everything I do is with entertainment. But the reason I I think I could make my entire living just performing, but in order to do that, I think I'd have to work cruise ships. I'd have to work colleges. I'd have to go to a lot more fair conventions. I go to, I'd have to be gone a lot more. I just have to be gone all the time in order to make a decent living with it. Sure. And years ago I decided I don't want to do that. And my wife helped me with that decision by saying I wasn't allowed to do it. (laughs) But the truth is the the reality of it is yeah. it was my decision too, and i I don't want to be gone all the yeah. time. I want to be able to you know go skateboarding with my son and take my daughter to choir and you know go to my son great. other son's basketball games you know it's awesome yeah it's a great life it's we're we're uh, about at time I have so thoroughly enjoyed tonight it's been it's been great and i I really admire that you've put your career has just been awesome. I mean, you, you do what a lot of people talk about doing. You know, I think that, I think it's just so cool. If people want to see what you do, what's the best place for them to find you on the web? Um, my website is funny man who does tricks.com. Funny man who does tricks.com. Yeah. You can look at me on, I really not on Facebook much, but I post, I generally post on Facebook where I'm going to perform when it's a, a public show. Um, I can't even remember my Facebook, Marcus Wilson. Yeah. If you look up Marcus Wilson on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. You'll find it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then if people want to book you best to go to funny man who does tricks.com funny man who does tricks.com and you can be booked for corporate events. You can be booked for private events. If there's a paycheck, you know, (laughs) whatever it is you have, if it, 
if there's something where, you know, my show would work for what you're doing, you know, I'd love to do it. It's awesome. Oh, it's so great. Well, this has been so fun catching up. And, and uh, one of the things that, one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast was to show the variety of people and man, I'm grateful my agent called me. I don't know how my agent at the time I was acting. I don't even know. I, I know who it was. It was urban talent. Yeah, it was. Because I remember you mentioning them to me. Yeah. And I, I don't like, know how they knew I juggled. They called me up and said, hey, can you juggle? And I'm, I'm a quote juggler. I'm, I'm, I can keep three balls in the air for a long, long time, and I can do a small handful of three ball tricks. Were you, I think you were juggling torches. In I was juggling torches, and I'm actually better at juggling torches because torches are clubs. Yeah. I'm better at juggling clubs than I am balls, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, but I am not even near the plane that you're on. So I, I I'm, still, yeah, I'm, yeah, I was not great then. I still remember touch fight angel. I'm hired as the clown. You're hired as the juggler. <laughs> and I remember we were about to walk down our one scene that we had waited two days to shoot. Yeah, I had to walk and juggle torches. You, yeah. You had to walk and juggle torches and there was like hay on the ground because it was a circus scene and. You know, it didn't occur to them that they shouldn't have yeah. fire and yeah. whatever. And I looked at you and go, do you want me to juggle the torches? And you said, no, I, I better do it. That's why I'm here. <laughs> Which, of course, you sh- and not only that, the clown probably shouldn't be juggling the torches. And I would have been walking along. I don't even remember what I was wearing. Well, you would have juggled. I would have traded you the clubs. Yeah. But still, yeah, I still remember that. Did I drop them? No, I think ah. you did fine. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. As far as I know, I mean, yeah, twenty years ago, but yeah, I don't remember dropping it. I remember, I remember that we turned out okay. But the main thing I know from that is that you and I are still friends twenty years later, and I'm super grateful for that. We're going to wrap up. As am I. We'll wrap up with the question we ask all of our guests, and that is Marcus Wilson. What does being a member of the church mean to you? You know, I've been listening to your podcast, so I knew that was coming, but. I don't think my answer would have changed. The church to me is somewhere I can turn. It's somewhere I can turn to when I need answers. You know, when I'm wondering what is going to happen or what's happening to someone who's passed away, it's somewhere Mm -hmm. I can turn to and look to. It's somewhere I can turn when I need help with something, both like emotionally, um, if I need, if I need a friend, it's someplace I can turn if, you know, I mean, I just need something, some help around the house. I know it's there. So it's there both physically and it's there spiritually. Mm. And it's someplace I can turn when I'm feeling down someplace I can turn where I'm happy. It's the place I can go to, which can help me. He is a husband. He is a father. He's a killer skateboarder at our age, which I'm most jealous of. He is a juggler, a comedian, an entertainer, and an all-around good friend. Marcus Wilson, thank you for sharing your latter-day life with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And my special thanks to my dear friend Marcus Wilson. What a blessing it was to catch up with Marcus. Such a good man. We went out to dinner and, you know, he and I can have really deep conversations about life and then two minutes later just be cracking up. We have a very similar comedy sensibility and I just love Marcus. 
Uh, this week in my Latter-day life, I got to speak in church and had a unique experience doing so. You know, I've shared before that uh, I don't mind speaking. I actually enjoy it. I do a lot of firesides and uh, a lot of public speaking of different kinds. It's something I'm very comfortable doing. I don't know that I'm great at it, but I'm at least comfortable. And I've been told by so many people that they are uncomfortable speaking. I mean, look at how many church talks start off with how nervous people are. My heart goes out to people who are nervous about it. Now, there are many things in life that make me nervous. Speaking just doesn't happen to be one of them. And I was told I would have about 15 minutes for my talk. And I was to speak on such a wonderful topic, the importance of a testimony of the Book of Mormon and the Restoration and the First Vision, and just how important having a solid testimony of that all is. And I was asked a couple of weeks ago, and that by the day after, I knew exactly what my talk was supposed to be. I knew it, I prayed about it, I pondered it, but the talk was kind of written in my head, and and I was good to go, and it was definitely 15 minutes worth. And as I got to church, uh, a member of the bishopric came up and told me that there would be, there was the, the plan was to have a youth speaker, and uh, and then another another man in our ward speak, and then a, a, a him, and then and then me. Well, it turns out that the other man wasn't feeling up to speaking. He wasn't feeling well, and of course, no one should be forced to speak when they're not feeling well. But this left quite a gap. And uh, as I talked to Ben, a member of our bishopric, such a great guy, and you know, our bishopric was just called. Uh, literally just a couple of weeks ago, we we have a new bishopric, and uh, Ben was was sort of like, hey, you know what? He's not going to be able to speak. Ben said he would share some thoughts, and we'd just kind of see how how sacrament meeting goes. And so I sat down, and uh, we this kind of hit us all like, what's going to happen? And our youth speaker, she was just phenomenal. But as it became obvious, we were going to have some extra time. Uh, one of our other counselors sent me a text saying, do you have extra stories? Like, you know, kind of, can you you stretch it out? And Ben sent me such a reassuring text that just said, just do what you can, and then I'll stand up and fill in after. And I said a quick prayer, and immediately another story popped into my head. And it popped into my head in a way I would have never thought of it. I always think of this story as a missionary story. But at its core, it is a Book of Mormon story. And uh, it came into my head. I wrote it down on my talk, and suddenly it was my turn. And I had almost 30 minutes with 15 minutes planned. I think I had literally 27, 28 minutes. Uh, And I stood up and I gave this talk. And it was exactly the amount of time it needed to be. And at five minutes till, I finished my talk and I sat down. And at no point did it feel pressure, did it feel difficult even. And again, I'm not saying I'm a great speaker. I'm just very comfortable with it. And I think that sometimes the Lord puts us where we need to be. And I know the Lord knew that things would go a little bit differently today. And what a blessing that as this good brother was unable to come speak, that uh, he was able to inspire me. And I, I just felt it such a blessing that I was the one up there. I know that I've talked to so many friends who say that public speaking is just their worst fear. For me, it's just not. I'm grateful it was my turn today. Now, 
if the emergency was that someone had to build something or do carpentry, no, I'm not the guy. If, if a car had to be fixed, I am not the guy. That would be pure panic. And of course, if someone had to sing, that would be my worst nightmare. There are so many things that not only am I not good at, I'm not comfortable doing, that other members of our ward just would look at it and go, sure, that's easy. We all have such different gifts and such different talents. And when we're willing to use them, I believe the Lord puts us where he needs us, where he knows we're going to be needed. And what a blessing that is. I'm so grateful for that and had just a wonderful experience sharing a few thoughts on the Book of Mormon um, in church. We have such a supportive ward. I'm so grateful to be a part of this church and to get these types of experiences and to get the feel of the Spirit and to ponder on my own testimony. It is all a blessing, and that is what is happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in. We sure appreciate it. If you could leave us a review, I cannot tell you how much it helps to, to have other people find the show when they're searching for good content. Those reviews really help. Of course, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. Follow us there to see our, our guests, both uh, future guests as well as past guests. And by the way, I did find a picture of me and Marcus in a scene together. It is a split second of us 20 years ago on Touched by an Angel, but I will share that uh, screen grab that I did on our Facebook page and probably on our Instagram as well. Well, that's about all we've got for this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>